we're starting a new series this week um, as we kind of get into this fall season. And this will carry us right up to the door of things like blast starting up and our college students returning and all those things that we've been, uh, you know, we continue to pray for through the summer. Um, and we're doing this four-week series called How to Neighbor. And um, I wanted to explain a little bit about why we would move here next. We've been talking to Family Bible Church about how to share our faith. And as I was praying through that, um, and this is actually a, a material that was developed by another church that we're able to um, borrow all the cool graphic stuff, but, and even like the flow of the series, but it's a good opportunity because um, I think as we begin to think how we can share our faith with others, one of the questions is, well, how are we going to have opportunity, opportunities to do that? And the way we have opportunity to do that is by being a neighbor, right? And uh, many of us already have a connotation in our mind about what it means to be a neighbor, you know? Um, and we're going to do what we always do in Family Bible Church. We're going to look at what the Word of God says because God has a lot to say about what it means to be a neighbor and then therefore um, how we can uh, learn to be a neighbor. So that's kind of where we're heading with this series. If you grabbed an engagement sheet, and I hope that you did. Did everybody get one of those this morning? Kind of a big deal. We provide those so you can like, take notes on it. Um, I don't know if this was explained earlier, but the bottom of this is a connection card, so you can fill it out. If it's the first, second time you're here, if you're here all the time, fill that out. On the back side, there's a space for prayer concerns, and you can write your prayer concern down. We have a prayer team that prays every day for the needs of the church, so you can write those concerns down there, some next steps you can take. But I wanted to point out in this series, at the very top of the card, under how to be how to neighbor, it says, um, my next step is, my next step is. And I want you to be thinking about that as we're going through this sermon series each week. And you're going to take that home with you. Like, this isn't for us to keep. This is for you to take home and consider what God might be calling you to do next in your life in Christ. Um, our prayer is that you are growing in Jesus. That's our prayer for everyone, um, not just, uh, thank you, Steve, not just um, um, certain people who quote-unquote need it, but that we would all be growing in Christ. And so I believe because of that, that we all have next steps to take. So I'm, I want to give you a heads up so you can be uh, paying attention as we uh, get into God's Word this morning, what He might be calling you to do next as we consider what His Scriptures say about how to neighbor. So uh, we have this uh, neat little intro video I'll show you now. No. Right on. How do neighbor races reconciled? So um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna talk and, uh, about what God's word has to say about um, the situation we find ourselves in today. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you and to give you praise and glory. I said it earlier, Lord, and I meant it. You're the only one here that we're worried about um, glorifying or impressing. Uh, you are our Heavenly Father, and you love us so much. You gave us your Son that we might be free of our sin and forever in your presence. And we give you glory and praise for that today. We pray today, Father, that if we come into your house to worship you, that we would learn, that we would grow, uh, that we could expand um, our understanding of who you are, and we could live into those spaces. But we need you to help us do that, Father. We cannot, cannot do this on our own. Uh, we do not want to work out of our flesh or our own thoughts. We want to hear from you, your Holy Spirit. 
to change us. Um, so would you open our minds, um, as, uh, as Pastor Dan prayed earlier, would you soften our hearts to hear the word and believe it? And then would you give us the strength and courage to live it out? It seems that last part is the hardest part, Father. So help us to live it out every day of our lives. Um, no matter the cost, no matter what's happening around us, that we would be faithful to you and you alone as we worship you with everything that we do. Uh, may you, may you um, bless us and guide us in this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, this oh, i got a black screen up there. So this whole, uh, this, this first week of the series is going to talk about the story that maybe you've all heard before. Um, many people refer to it as the Good Samaritan story. It makes sense if you're going to do a series on how to neighbor, you would start with the story where it says, you know, the question about who's my neighbor. Um, but I wanted to, uh, to kind of start and re refresh us if maybe um, you don't remember the story. Jesus is teaching, and one of the teachers of the law comes, and he says, he asks an interesting question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life forever? Um, there are a lot of questions that were asked of Jesus, some to trap him, some to trick him. But this seems to be a very genuine question that this, this person comes and asks Jesus. What must I do to have life forever. And Jesus kind of turns it around. He has a tendency to do that. He says, well, what do you think? What do you think the word says? What, what is written in the law? And the, the man answers. He says, well, you got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. It's part of his answer. Oh, and um, you have to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Um, and Jesus says, you've answered well. And, and then this is interesting because at this point in the story, after this kind of good answer, we find this um, passage. And uh, I'm going to say I can pull it up here. Yeah, that, that's what comes next in the story in Luke. But the man talking to Jesus wanted to justify himself. That's what the narrative says. That's what the Bible says. So after this conversation where he asks Jesus this question and he gives some good, Jesus asks him, he knows what he's supposed to do. This is his main concern. He says, uh, the Bible says that the man wanted to justify himself. And so he asked this, who's my neighbor? Now you maybe know the story of that conversation. I, I think we get so familiar, we miss how radical what Jesus does next is. He doesn't even answer the question that the gentleman asks. He doesn't explain the question. That, you know, he doesn't just go, here's the answer you're looking for. He tells a story. After this revelation, after who is my neighbor, he tells a story. And this is what Jesus says. He's like, there was some guy going down the road. And he got beat up. And he got robbed. And he got left for dead. You heard the story? Right? And then Jesus says that a priest comes by and passes by on the other side. And then he says a, a Levite comes by and passes by on the other side. And then he tells a story of we come to call the Good Samaritan story. If you want to turn, you can to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Uh, we're going to look at it. It's only a couple verses. I'll have them on the screen here. If you don't have a Bible with you, we can look at the screens or you can grab one of ours. Luke 10, 33. We just want to read this together. So this is where Jesus picks up the story. He says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, 
he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have had. So Jesus tells a story of a Samaritan who comes to the aid of the man left on the road. Um, this is one of those surprising things to me because I have taught and preached this text before and I have studied this text before and, um, and I've kind of got some of the dynamics but something kind of surprised me this time whenever I was looking through the, the story. Uh, one bit of background though I want to tell you a little bit about this narrative Jesus chooses to tell. The Samaritans were people who um, is, the Israelites didn't particularly care for, right? The Jewish people didn't really care for them. Uh, they were neighbors, and they had had a long and, and sordid history. Um, as a matter of fact, I believe by this point, in this, when Jesus is telling the story, there have been about 700 years of very, very bad hostility between the Jewish people and Samaritans. They just couldn't stand one another. Now the irony is, and maybe this is something that um, would strike a chord with you, there was a common uh, heritage there. That was part of the problem with the Samaritan people, right? Uh, many of you know the story of Israel being taken captive, um, or, or Judah, I should say, being taken captive um, by the Babylonians. At the same time, I believe it was the Assyrians who came and they, they had... Um, ruled over the Israelites in the northern kingdom and as part of that process took some away but then also began to intermarry and so they brought in pagan gods and all these kind of things that that later on the Jewish people found so offensive because you weren't pure anymore you were tainted you you had false gods in your life you you had mixed blood so when Jesus tells his story, it's not just a story about religious people and non-religious people, but it's about the story of cultures that have diverged in such a way that there's, there's this deep-rooted conflict generationally. I mean, if you think about it, 700 years would be like your great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy had a problem with this. And so do you. And so Jesus tells this unlikely story of a person who had come and done the right thing um, being someone that you, you couldn't um, stand. Um, it's always hard for me to uh, imagine a modern construct like that that we could think of, someone that we would be that offended by hearing that they were the ones who helped. Um, I, would, I would say this, um, just take any group that you really, really hate. Just take any group you really, truly in your heart hate, you know. I mean, and I know I'm not supposed to hate anybody, but there's those people you're just like, oh, those people, you know. And then insert them where the Samaritans go in the story. Oh, and by the way, take yourself and put yourself in the part of the person who is trying to justify themselves and who passed by. Because that's the way Jesus told the story. And he's like, okay, religious people, here's what's happening. You're walking by doing nothing and the people who you hate did something different. There's a little bit of background, and I hope that makes sense. You can look that up. That's in the first testament of the Bible. All that stuff is in there for us to read and study and understand. But the bottom line is there was bad blood, bad blood between the Samaritans and the, and the Jewish people. 
And so I always told this story and thought of the story in a way of saying, okay, so this is what happened. Um, the, um, the, the priests and the Levite, the holy people, okay, here's my narrative. They were going down the street and then they saw the dude who was beat up and who was bleeding and left for dead and robbed. And then they crossed over the street. Now I'm going to ask you a hard question. I'm going to ask you a hard question this morning. Have you ever been walking somewhere, right? And for good cause or maybe bad, you've crossed the street to avoid something. Yeah? Like almost all of us have done it. No matter how courageous, no matter how many you know, tough. I mean, maybe it's a relationship you don't want to confront. Maybe it's something else. But you decide at the moment that you see it, oh, this is going to be tough. You decide, I'm just going to cross here and avoid this conflict. Or maybe I'm going to avoid this con conscious conflict. And that's how I always read the story, that, that these religious people avoided someone who was suffering. And that was their sin. That's what I thought. And then I was reading it, and I'm like, wait, the Bible just says they passed by on the road. I had this whole thing, right? They passed by. I want to leave this up because um, Jesus tells the story like this. But the Samaritan, as opposed to the religious folks, came where the man was. Now, see, that's different. And I, I kind of thought, well, the Samaritan was cruising along. He's like, I'm not going to avoid this. I'm going to go right to it. But that's not exactly true. The Samaritan was not necessarily going to intersect with this man. Look at what it says. And when he saw him, he, he took pity on him, and he what? Went to him. And this might seem super small and insignificant to you. But to me, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. So this wasn't about religious folks avoiding a conflict or avoiding something that they had an opportunity to do. That's how I always read the narrative. But it was about someone who was not going and doing what the religious folks should have done, which is to go to him. To go to him. Which brings us to our, our uh, first point, and it's this, that um, Jesus in our walk, and if you think now, all of a sudden I go, oh, 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 this makes so much more sense. It wasn't that Jesus walked and, did, and, and tried to not avoid things in his way, but Jesus on purpose went to intercede or intersect with people's lives. He would go to them. And so the simple way to say it is that as we follow Jesus, he challenges us to cross the street, right? He... The, the, the challenge he lays out to the man who wants to justify himself is, is what are you called to do? Well, love God and love your neighbor. Well, then if you do that, let me tell you a story. You know at the end he asks the guy, don't you? He says, well, who was the neighbor? He said, the one that had mercy, the one that went and done something. Jesus said, that. Ah, that's right. Jesus challenges us to cross the street. And, and I think, okay, well, that's cool, but I want to tile this together a little bit, this narrative that we've heard so many times before, and maybe look at it fresh, because if you remember, the question that the man asked was, how can I have eternal life? And, and the, man, the man answered rightly, is to love. That was the root of what the answer was. What? Love God and love others. That's a really simple way to say that. Love God with everything you have and love others with everything you have. It's not enough just to not avoid, right, a difficult situation. 
is to be motivated by a love that compels you to intercede or to interact or to get involved. So it was more like they're walking down the road and they're thinking, oh, this is going to be a mess. So they avoid it. They don't, I mean, they don't go do what they know they're supposed to do. Wait. (laughs) They don't go and do what they know the Lord requires. Love me. Love others as yourself. Go across the street. So Jesus challenges us to um, to do more than than, than to to be um, willing to not avoid things, but to willingly enter into them enter into others. I want to play you a clip, and this is pretty crazy, but um, in considering the same text, it's about a two-minute clip, so I'm going to give you a heads up. It's a little longish, but I want you to listen to it because um, this is uh, when Martin Luther King was considering the same text. The day before he died, he preached on this exact text. I want you to hear what he had to say. But I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles, or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later, you are about 2,200 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody paths. You know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, love them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question. Isn't that interesting? So in his own imagination, as he says himself, the question we so often ask when we see someone in need is, if I get involved, what's going to happen to me? And he says, the Samaritan asks the other question, if I don't get involved, what's going to happen to them? It's really funny because... um, for me, this is such a, uh, a, a complicated issue, and I feel like we live in a time there's so much tension, you know. Um, I was re- reminded of um, where I lived in my little town when I grew up, and uh, 
we had train tracks. Almost everybody had train tracks in your town. Everybody have train tracks? Y'all have train tracks? We got them right here in Highland run through. I don't know how it was here in Highland because I wasn't raised here in Highland, but I remember as part of my childhood, um, where you lived according to the tracks mattered. I lived really, really close to the tracks. And honestly, I wasn't really quite sure where I fit in all this conversation. Um, I did know, though, that there were some folks on the other side of the tracks that I was supposed to not get involved with because they were a bad influence. It wasn't always um, related to their race, by the way, but some of that probably was. And I think, man, Jesus here is telling us to go and to enter in, to go and to take risk. And I think that's our, our number one struggle. Beyond racism, by the way, anything we do, are we motivated by fear of what might happen? Or are we motivated by love of what could happen? And that's always risky. It's always risky. In thinking of this uh, topic and this idea, um, we have this, this narrative where Jesus challenges us to cross the street, challenges us to get involved in the lives of others, even when it might be messy or uncertain, or the outcomes are not known. The outcomes are not known, and yet we're called to do it. But I wanted to say something else, because I think we, we look at one another, and we don't see one another often. And uh, man, we, I, think, I just think we've got things to repent of and things to believe in at the same time. And I believe that God is in that repentance and believing. Um, I'm going to share with you uh, from the book of James, chapter 2, um, a few verses. James 2, let me see if I can pull it up here. There we go, yeah. So this is really striking as well, James 2, chapter 9. I'm going to read a little bit around it too, but I want to read this first. It's on the screen here. Uh, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And so, and I, I wanted to uh, read a little bit around it, like um, uh, James chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. It kind of starts out with a plead. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then, it's, and then here in 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, look at what's tied in here. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. That's the juxtaposition. So if you're loving the neighbor or the stranger or the alien as you would love yourself, that's the right position. But then look at verse 9, what he says. But if you show favoritism, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And I thought it was important to say very clearly that, um, oh, I want to go back to that one, that, that racism is sin that it's a sin problem that we face with racism. And that can be of any people group that you look at and you don't see them as image bearers of the God who made everything. That's the narrative. If you keep the royal law of love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Um, this... Uh, idea that showing favoritism is the opposite of showing love. Deciding who I will and won't enter in with, what I will and won't do, where I will and won't go, 
or God help us who Jesus does and does not want to save. Which is kind of my heart's motivation on this whole thing is that we begin to see others the way Christ sees others and believe that our job is to passionately bring good news into their lives. Not maybe the only person, but someone who's doing it as well. At least we can bring good news. In the same way, um, this idea of favoritism shows up in Galatians, uh, where Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, slave nor free, male nor female, because all are one in Christ Jesus. And so we have this unity in Christ that should that should, if we're listening, openly rebuke us when we hate people that are not like us. It should. We should remember this. And if you have a tendency, we've been talking about this a little bit, if you have a tendency to believe that, well, you know, it says we're all one in Christ and they're not in Christ, but you know, Christ died to save them. So there's a desire that Jesus has that they would be in Christ and therefore all one. I don't, I don't want to let us off the hook as the people of God to do the hard work. And I think we do it all too often and we have all kind of good reasons why we would believe this is okay to be this way. It's safer. Or, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know how that's going to go down. I, I, you know, you've got to be wise. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't take risks. And I think, man, the people of God whom Jesus died to save ought to be willing to take risks. Do you understand, right? Um, Jesus died that we might be free. He gave his life that we could be free. And James, again, I'm just going to hit one more passage, one more part here. It says in verse 12, um, Speak and act then as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. That's a bad thing, folks. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Earlier we heard the Good Samaritan story. Another way you can say he took pity on him is he showed mercy to the man. Just mercy. Can you even begin to understand the plight that someone's facing? Can we even begin to enter in with them to see the world the way they see it, to feel the hurts the way they feel them? All right, we have, we have one more stop to make, and that's in the book of Revelation. I'm going to ask you to turn there to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. We've hit this a few times, but I wanted you to get a vision why this matters and why we should be a people who see um, others as image bearers of Christ, as those who have been... Uh, it's Revelation 7, 9 through 14. It's on page 865 in your Bibles, if you're using one of our, our Bibles, if you use one of our Bibles off the table. So we have this very real temporal problem right now. And, and it would be tempting for us to say, you know what? Um, I'm just having a hard time with this. So I'm just going to, I know Jesus and God can solve all the problems. And so I'm just going to hang out 
until he comes back and fixes stuff, you know? Um, but I want us to get an idea. I want us to see what John saw in his vision of what heaven's going to look like so that we can know with no uncertainty that this idea of what God has done is a good thing and something he desires for his people forever. This is in verse 9 of chapter 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, that would be Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Well, these in the white robes, who, who are they and where do they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Two things that stand out to me in that. Two things. And the first, oh, there it was, it was already up there, that heaven will be filled, you can see it in verse 9, um, or verse, um, yeah, 9, um, with every nation, tribe, people, and language. <laughs> The problem is, if we're walking around here hating everyone that's not like us, we're going to be sorely upset whenever everyone not like us is in heaven forever. As a matter of fact, it might be a qualifier. <laughs> we might not be there to see it. But clearly, as much as there's this globalization thing happening, there will be distinction among nations and tribes and people groups forever in heaven. It wasn't a mistake. It was God's creation. And therefore, because we know this is true, when we deal with brothers and sisters right now, we should be able to see the kingdom here. We should be able to see the kingdom coming. Glimpses of heaven. I think we have a tendency to, to be extreme and just say, well, you know, we, we can't do any of it because it's so hard. That's not true. God will redeem these things. But in the meantime, we certainly have work to do. The other thing I wanted to point out to you is this. The elder said, who are these? And, and John says, well, you, you know who they are. And then the people in the white robes are described this way. These are the ones that came out of the great suffering. These are ones that came out of the great trials. And I believe 100% that the great tribulation, great suffering is the great triumph on the cross of Jesus Christ dressed in white robes but I also believe Jesus said it in this life you'll have trouble that this temporal suffering this time that we're in where we question and we anguish will I cross the street will I enter in is part of the tribulation that we experience here the brokenness and the hate and the anger that's so prevalent in the world. And God help us, church. Prevalent in our hearts. 
God, help us with that. We have to have a vision for what God says is coming that we might know how we ought to act here. Now. Why would it matter? Jesus taught us to do these things. So, um, I did want to give you a minute, and I said at the beginning, if there's something in your life, your next step, and by the way, this isn't a, you know, oh, he said this, I'm going to, no, it's like, what might God be calling you to do in your life right now? Maybe the whole time that God's been saying, there's this thing, I want you to write on that card and take it home, and you're praying about it, doing it this week. What's my next step? What am I going to do to enter into someone who's not like me, who maybe I have a, a tendency to not want to be with or maybe even hate. Will you take the risk and enter in? Maybe um, for some of us, it's to recognize the sin. That's a great prayer. Oh God, would you help me to see? I mean, because we're so blinded by our own view. Would you help, give me your eyes to see my life that I might see it rightly recognize my sin and if and if you pray that prayer and if you know that sin then you repent of it i'm done with that i'm done with it jesus i believe what you've said and maybe that's what what god has in your heart um maybe it's um to sit and listen to somebody who you disagree with forever and you're going to sit down you're going to say i'm just going to hear what you have to say I'm going to try to understand. I'm going to try to say back to you what I think you just told me your experience is, which is the hard work of relationship. You know, or maybe it's right now there's been somebody, God's been like, cross the street, cross the street. And you're like, ah, I can't, it's risky. I'm not sure I can do that. I want you to pray with me that we would uh, have the courage to live as the people God called us to live as. Um, Father, for all those uh, things you brought to mind, for all the people, all the people in this life that we've encountered and we've, we've uh, come to know, come to love or, or, or don't love and, and really struggle with, uh, we give you thanks and praise. I pray, Father, right now that um, the work that you're doing would not be undone by the enemy who would rather us stay secluded and sequestered safe but we would rather follow the one who calls us out to go and with him into this life uh, we want to please you you know father whatever happens whatever people think of us i pray that we live a life that's pleasing to you if you've uh, convicted others of sin as you've convicted me of mine i i pray that we would recognize the fulfillment of the need to pay for that sin in jesus christ and that we would truly be like those washed in the blood and born again and that we would live in that new place we would find ourselves growing more comfortable walking around redeemed forgiven that we could um, be courageous and uh, Father, for um, I just pray that again over all of the sin that we experience. Lord, you died to forgive all of it. I pray no one would walk out of here with the burden of sin that you, you paid for already. But also we walk out with a boldness, Father. Help us to do that work. Only you can do it. We're utterly dependent on you to do it, Father. May you be glorified as we continue to seek your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.